For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, I'm Olympian Lolo Jones and I have a new podcast called Gold Medal Loser, presented by Discover Card. Everyone can relate to those loser moments in their life, especially when expectations are high. But here's the thing, not everyone overcomes hardships the same way. So I'll be talking to some of the most winningest people from all walks of life to learn their mentality behind their successes and failures. We'll be talking to athletes and celebrities to get their insight behind personal moments that represent the good, the bad, and the ugly. Plus, how they took these challenges and created a better version of themselves. So check this pod out because it's time to get real. Don't forget to subscribe to Gold Medal Loser on Apple, Spotify, and any preferred podcast platform. I am happy to be joined by a man who needs no introduction, a former major leaguer, World Series champion, current TV color analyst for the Houston Astros, Jeff Blum. Blummer, how are you doing today? I'm actually doing pretty good. It's uh, We have the day off because the Astros are on YouTube, but I'm doing really good. How are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, as I was telling you before we hopped on here, uh, my wife and I just had our third daughter, our third kid, first daughter couple weeks ago so life in our house has been very hectic just adjusting my uh my oldest just started 4k uh so i've been taking him to school and yeah it's just been a little bit of an of an adjustment for us in our our house but uh no things are going well baseball is exciting uh it's heading down that final stretch uh, which is crazy because i feel like it just started not too long ago but uh the season has flown by and uh, yeah, we're already looking uh, into the postseason heading uh, here in a couple of weeks now. Uh, but before we start, um, could you talk to me about how you got into baseball? I know you play for many years, um, but prior to that, what got you into baseball? Was it a family member or a specific team or a player? I, I started playing when I was about five years old, and it was one of those things where my dad played, uh, you know, at junior college at Pasadena uh, Community College and played baseball. I think he had a couple of opportunities in semi-pro as he thought he was going to work towards uh, playing, uh, you know, Major League Baseball. But, you know, things didn't work out for him, uh, you know, whether it be injury, family, having to get to work or that kind of thing. But uh, it was in his blood and, uh, you know, me being the firstborn and, you try everything out on your firstborn. He threw me into uh, baseball, and I, I, I actually gravitated towards it just because it was such a fun sport to me. And I actually lucked out in the sense that when I started t-ball, we actually had a very good, a very good team. There was camaraderie on the team immediately with guys that, uh, with, well, guys, they're guys now, but when they were kids at the right. time, we all got along great. And uh, you know, my my dad was a coach, and it just so happened that my dad knew Mike Sweeney, who was the father of Mike Sweeney Jr., who ends up playing mm-hmm. for the uh, Kansas City Royals for about thirteen years, plays with the Philadelphia Phillies. So we we created a bond. Uh, two major league families got together when they were five years old. So I think it really started in in that sense that 
the people around me were so good and I loved the sport that much that I got around them. And of course I played different sports throughout my childhood, but just baseball ended up being the one for me because my heart was truly in it. And fortunately I had enough talent in it to uh, make it, make it happen. That's awesome. And did you have a favorite team growing up? I know you were born in the Bay as was I, but you moved down to Southern California. Were you an Angels fan or a, a Dodgers fan or even Padres fan growing up? Yeah, I, I kind of floated around a little bit. Uh, you know, I would go to Dodger games as a kid. Probably went to more Dodger games than I did anything because I was about 30 minutes east of uh, Los Angeles inland. And it was just more convenient getting to ball games. So, you know, I grew up with the Bill Russells, Davey Lopes, uh, Reggie Smith, uh, guys like that, watching them. So, and of course, they were good in the in the mid, you know, eighties, and and so it was easy to watch them and 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 latch onto them. What's kind of interesting about that whole situation is that they were in the National League West with the Houston Astros, who I work for now. So, I watched plenty of Mike Scott, Nolan Ryan, uh, Bill Dorn, you know, a, a lot of these guys, Dickie Thawne, Alan Ashby, who I eventually got to work with, oddly enough. But you know, so I knew a lot of the names and cast and characters in that National League West, but I definitely gravitated more to the to the Dodgers Angels and Padres like you said Tony Gwynn fan growing up uh watching him and then eventually paying, playing for the Padres I mean there's so many uh connections in Southern California for me but uh I was truly blessed at that time in the 80s to be watching teams like that for sure and I, I grew up watching the uh early 2000s uh A's with the big three pitching staff and the money ball era uh that really got me into baseball my dad uh, is Puerto Rican huge baseball fan uh, we really um, were a baseball family growing up. I never played really past like t-ball. Um, I wish I did, but my parents had other plans. They put me in swimming and in soccer, and baseball kind of never really uh, became a sport that I played. But I enjoyed watching it. Uh, we had season tickets, watching the A's. Uh, grew up nice. hating the Giants, um, just with that Bay Area <laughs> rivalry. Um, so yeah, I mean it, that's that's awesome that you. It's awesome that California has five. Uh, uh, teams and you know the, the the Mariners aren't too far away as well so just that whole west coast there's six different teams you can really pull for um which is crazy thinking about now that I live in the midwest and in a smaller state and how how that all works out but uh let's go ahead and talk about the team that you work for currently the Astros um last season of course Oakland won the west uh, the American League west and uh Houston this season is in a great position to uh, reclaim that title. I know they won several of those uh, prior to 2020. Um, how has this team looked? Um, I know it's been an up and down season for many teams. Uh, they started off really well. They struggled. They, I think in their last 10 games are five and five. Um, how does the team look currently? They look really good, and it, it has been very interesting to watch them throughout the course of the season because one of the big offseason moves was George Springer signing with the Toronto Blue Jays, yeah. and it's pretty obvious what he brings to the ball club as far as the electricity at the top of the lineup and his ability to you know start games off with a home run. He played a great center field. He was really a good chemistry guy in the clubhouse and a fan favorite, so you know, how do you replace that and how do you get back to uh, the the offense that was in 2019 that put him in the World Series? And, you know, th there's obvious uh, peripherals around the organization that are still out there with fans being involved, road trips being extremely tough with them uh, facing the booing and all of the vitriol that comes their way. So I've been pleasantly surprised, to say the least, 
at how this team has performed throughout the course of the season with the controversy surrounding them, with losing a key free agent in George Springer, and wondering what this young pitching staff was going to be able to do. That was probably one of the biggest questions for me was, you know, is Luis Garcia the guy that he was in 2020? Uh, can Framber Valdez bounce, bounce back and continue to be the guy he was in 2020? Jose Urquidy, they've got some good young talent. So it's been a nice mix of young with a little bit of the old and some of those guys that were developed inside the organization that have done a very good job. But uh, for them to be this far in first place, it, it's a little surprising, even though I work for them and watch them on a daily basis. But uh, mm -hmm. they, I think they've surprised a lot of people with how well and consistent they've been. For sure. And um, the West, I think Oakland has kind of fallen off. The Mariners have surprised me. I think all of baseball, the way they played um, only, a, only several games out of the wild card and the way the Yankees are playing. like There's a chance the Mariners and the Blue Jays uh, may be in the wild card game, which is crazy to think about. You talk about the Blue Jays. They made two really good moves. I think Marcus Simeon and Springer have to be the two best Oh, off uh, one of the two, one of the two best all season moves any team could make. Just looking at what Marcus has done um, after leaving Oakland, and again you talk about Springer and what he does at, at the top of the order, uh, top of the uh, lineup there, and he can really set the tone for any team. And we saw what he does in the playoffs. He goes, he's always played really well uh, once the postseason has started. What probably one of the best postseason players in recent history that I can think of. Um, but yeah, their starting rotation um, is really good. They have a lot of young talent. Uh, like I told you earlier, uh, I, I've always watched Oakland's been my team, although I live in Wisconsin mm -hmm. now. So I cheer a lot for the Brewers and I watch all their games. But I've watched a ton of uh, Astros play. To, um, and yeah, I mean, it's always frustrating, especially when Oakland plays them, because I feel <laughs> like Houston really has their number. Um, you mentioned the, the booing and the, the fans and all that this season. Do you think last season, the lack of that really uh, the difference, I guess, that you can see based on last year when they didn't have any fans in the stands until um, the playoffs and this season when there are fans. And of course, like we all know that the fans are going to be angry just kind of based on all the whole scandal. And we don't really need to go too deep into that. But um, has you have you noticed a difference? Yeah, last season was very interesting in so many different ways with the start of the season, the stop of the season. Are we going to start the season? And then obviously we get into that 60-game schedule where you're playing in front of no fans. So right. you, you kind of suck the energy out of the stadiums no matter where they're playing. And then you get into the playoffs, you start playing at neutral sites, which made it even more interesting. But I do believe, you know, it was kind of a it was kind of a two-way uh, dynamic working with the Astros last year because you mentioned some of those young player, young pitchers and players for the Houston Astros. I think they benefited from not having to play in front of fans. So they were able to get the big league competition without the extra stress of having fans out there screaming at them or the pressures of having their hometown fans cheering for them with the expectation of going out there and performing. And then on the other side, you get the veteran guys because I think they're there may be five or six or seven guys left on the ball club from that from that 2017 team that was embroiled in that scandal. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, they go out in 2020. They have nothing to worry about. There's nobody yelling at them. Everything seems to be on social media or through, uh, you know, media outlets. Uh, and mm -hmm. they're able to just play the game. But there was a real energy lacking in that in that clubhouse and in that dugout. And I was real curious to see how they were going to react to a season with fans and you start to hear it and you can't avoid it. 
And for whatever reason, I don't know how these guys have done it, but it's almost as if they've thrived in that environment. They still play very well on the road. They still, uh, you know, are able to to go out and put up offensive numbers that, you know, rival what they did in 2017, if not better. So I think that they kind of took it upon themselves to go out there and prove to everybody that they were you know, the, the, to prove to everybody that even though they did what they did, that they are still a very good team. And that might be the motivation. And they played extremely well and kind of fed off each other and fed off that energy, whether it be positive at home or negative on the road. Absolutely. And we saw what they did in the postseason last year um, after having, I guess, probably to their standards, definitely a, a down season. And were only able to get into the playoffs just based on the expanded uh, playoffs and all that but once they got in I mean we saw what they did to Oakland and they moved on and uh, they looked primed to go to an to do another World Series run that didn't end up that way but we saw what they can do in the playoffs once you know once the lights get bright those those guys those stars on that team um, they really they really um, shine and they really do well in that situation yeah. No, it's just um, and, amazing to me. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's just good. amazing to think about this team. And, and you know, hopefully you guys see this in in Wisconsin with the Milwaukee yeah. Brewers this season is that, you know, you keep hearing about in the postseason guys being able to flip the switch. I never really believed that until last year when I watched those guys go through the 2020 season playing sub 500 baseball and then being a game away from getting into the World Series. And, you know, those some of those guys, you know, put up better numbers in 10 games in the postseason than they did in 60 games during the regular season. So it was kind of crazy to watch all that. Um, Bregman, he's back on the team after missing some significant time. Um, How has his presence been felt now that he's back i know he had a big home run um i think was it last night or the night prior um i know he's a big presence in that lineup how does it feel now that he's back on the team it, it feels good you know Aledmus diaz the astros are lucky enough to have a guy like Aledmus diaz who filled in beautifully mm-hmm. uh played a great defensive third base had some great timely hitting so you really didn't miss too much as far as the as far as the uh, on-field stuff, but Alex Bregman is definitely a force inside that lineup, and I think he changes the dynamic and creates a little more depth. And uh, you know, starting pitchers that have to go out there and game plan trying to face that lineup two or three times with an Alex Bregman in it uh, definitely uh, you know complicates the situation. And he's a guy who is an absolute you know you've heard the term gym rat where the guy just can't get out of the gym. He's constantly in there working on on their jump shot or in the you know in the weight room. That, you know, Alex Bregman is the baseball version of a gym rat. He takes batting practice every single day. It could be optional after the plane arrived at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning and they've got a noon game. He'll he'll be on the field taking batting practice. And I think that's where he provides a little leadership as far as attitude is concerned. He's got a relentless work ethic. And, for you know, he wears the number two on the back of his jersey because he feels – as if he was slighted by not being the number one overall pick in the year he got drafted. So he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. You know, he he is a smaller guy on the field. So he he kind of, you know, takes pride in the fact that he is maybe underestimated and he he loves going out there and proving people wrong. And you saw it like you're talking about that walk off or that tie game tying home run he had the mm-hmm. other day. He loves being in the spotlight. He he really enjoys being the guy in the moment. And I think that's the attitude that he kind of brings to the Astros and gives them a little bit of that added edge they need sometimes, especially down the stretch here in September when things get a little fatigued and a little stressed. Uh, he's a guy that can prov- can provide a big hit when you need it. 
Yeah, and he's one of those guys in the playoffs that really, really enjoys that that spotlight. We've seen what he's done over the past several years, and like he really, it really is his moment. Uh, whenever the playoffs start, um, they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, that's pretty obvious this season. Are there any concerns heading into the postseason um, that may keep this team from going to another World Series? The only concern that I might have, you know, well, if you if you went back to right before the trade deadline, I would have said their bullpen instantly. It would have been a no brainer to be able to say that. But, you know, fortunately, James Click was able to go out there and pick up a guy like Kendall Graveman. Yimmy Garcia, I think, is is a kind of a secret weapon out in that bullpen. Phil Maton's been pretty good. Rafael Montero was a guy that the Astros actually wanted to get in that Seattle trade also. So if he's able to get back off the injured list, I think it would really create some big-time depth and big-time experience in the late innings of games for Dusty Baker to be able to go to. The starting rotation has been incredible, and I think that they present a unique problem for for James Click and Dusty Baker as they set that rotation going into the postseason because you have a couple of different options and I know the Astros being highly analytical love to be able to play matchups so a lot of it's going to depend on who they play in that first round who they play in that second round but they're going to have some pieces that they're able to manipulate and move around but if if I'm sitting here right now and having you ask me that question Mm -hmm. and this is going to sound crazy is uh, their offense you know, you mm-hmm. talked about how they're five and five in the last 10 games. And that's one mm-hmm. of the things that's been amazing to me is that they can show up, put up 15 runs and and get 20 hits. And then the next day, you know, they're struggling to get two or three runs to try and win a ball game and they scratch it out. So it, that's the only thing that kind of jumps out to me that maybe maybe is an issue, because when once you get to the playoffs, you're facing the best pitching in baseball. Mm-hmm. And then you put that lineup out there and that they're having a rough day. You know, that that could be a real issue. Right. No, for sure. And um, that's kind of an issue that the Brewers also face sometimes is their offense. Um, really, like the big, most of that first couple months of the uh, of their season, like it's been it was really struggling to score several runs. And then, of course, they make that trade to get Willie Adamas and he completely changed uh, the offense uh, of this team. The mindset, he became an instant leader clubhouse guy. Um, and since then, they've really picked up. I think they have a, a 10 or 11 game lead in our division. Uh, pro- I think one yep. of the biggest, if not the biggest division lead um, heading into this final couple of weeks of baseball. Um, I know you're an American League guy, but have you watched any or seen any of the of the, the Brewers, especially with the pitching that they have um, with their one, two, three at the top of the rotation that probably rivals, I would say, any rotation in baseball? No, and you know what? I, I've, I glimpse at the National League. Granted, you know, when you start to play in these interleague type situations, it, it yeah. changes from year to year. And currently the Astros are playing the uh, National League West. So I've had a chance to check out the Padres, Dodgers, Giants, uh, and, and teams like that. So, But on the periphery here in September, you're kind of glancing across the divisions, trying to see who's doing what. And you know, I don't know if it's a real surprise that Milwaukee's doing as well as they are because of the pitching that you're talking about. You know, it, it, on a daily basis, you're hearing Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta right. almost on back-to-back-to-back nights. And then you're going, oh, okay, they pitched well. Who'd they face? And then it says the Dodgers, and it says they're shutting them out, and it says they're holding them to three or four hits. And you're going, good God, that's not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, but these guys are very consistent. They go out there and do it. I think Craig Council's doing an amazing job of motivating these guys and leading these guys. And when you have pitching like the Brewers do, 
you really don't need your offense to step up on a nightly basis. You need him to go out there and get the timely hits. And I think that's what Seattle's doing right now is they're getting some decent pitching and getting the timely hits. But I think that's where the Milwaukee Brewers present a certain challenge, I think, once they get to the playoffs. Because you're right, they are 11 games up. I checked that out. Their run differential is 100 plus 116. So that means when they are going out and winning, they're winning big. And the reason they're winning big is because their pitching is so dominant. And, uh, you know, you talked about Willie Adamas. I, you know, I think he's provided a serious spark on offense. But how about what he's yeah. done defensively, too? Yes, you start yes. to solidify that defense – and guess what it does to your pitching staff? It makes them that much better because if they don't have the swing and miss stuff that you know that night, and they have to pitch a little more to contact or adjust, they've got guys making plays behind them. So I love that aspect of it. I think they're a fun team to watch because everybody underestimates Milwaukee for whatever reason it is, and they go out and shock the world. And I think that's a lot of fun to watch, and I think it makes them very very scary in the postseason because when you start to play these shortened seasons and you can condense your starting rotation and maybe move a couple of guys in the back end of your rotation into that bullpen to create a little mm -hmm. more depth or create some matchup issues for teams across the way i think that they are a dangerous team and i actually had i had a co-worker yesterday one of the camera guys came in our booth and you know was kind of you know surveying the area going hey who do you think is going to be in the world series and i had no problem saying you know the milwaukee brewers could shock the world get into the world series and play against the chicago white Sox that's this season i know that if there's any astro fans listening to this podcast <laughs> when they eventually get to it oh man are gonna are gonna hate on me for that but i just think the white Sox are a little too powerful and the pitching and the pitching and the timely hitting and the good defense for Milwaukee is what I think is going to surprise a lot of people in the postseason. Yeah, you mentioned their defense this past offseason. They really made an emphasis on shoring up that defense. They signed uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., who's an amazing defensive uh, center fielder. Uh, he can play different oh. outfield positions. Uh, Colton Wong, they signed him from their division rival, and he's probably defensively one of the better uh, second basemen. And offensively, he's really picked it up this season. Like he's never been a real offensive force, but this season he's having a real good year. And the Brewers are made up, I, I want to say they're made up of a bunch of parts. They don't really have one go-to guy. Uh, Christian Yelich was that guy in uh, 19 when they, or 18 when they made it almost to the World Series. This season he's having a down year, but they have a lot of really good pieces. They have, have a lot of depth, and this season they've been hit by a ton of injuries. Uh, specifically no. Christian Yelich, he's missed a ton of time, and they've been able to bounce back with guys that, Maybe people haven't heard of, but like you said, Craig Council is really he's able to get the best out of his players. And he's probably one of the most underrated managers, I would say, in baseball. Um, just seeing what he's been able to do year in and year out. This is going to be their fourth year making it to the postseason. Uh, not very many teams can say they've been to the past four uh, postseason. And so, yeah, I completely, completely agree. And I like what you said about the White Sox. I think they're a team that if I, I think it's going to be the Astros just because like I, I don't know, and I'm not just saying that because you're on, but I picked the Astros, <laughs> and I say the Astros and Brewers are going to face each other, or the Astros and the Dodgers. That'd and be fun. That would make for great TV, although I wish it would be the Brewers because I think our pitching versus some of those Astros hitters would be just amazing oh, yeah. TV as well. Uh, but tell, talk to you real quick about the White Sox. I know you played for them at one point, won a World Series with them. <laughs> um, this What about this White Sox team is really shocking to you or maybe going to be the reason why they could go to the world series 
Well, part of the reason I have been watching him, obviously I have ties to them going back to 2005, but at the same time when the Astros were making, I'm broadcasting with the Astros since 2013. So I had the opportunity to call games when they were losing a hundred games. And now I've get an opportunity to call games when they're winning a hundred games. So I've seen kind of Mm -hmm. the, the quote unquote process that we hear around sports, you know, the building of a team, the building of a franchise and the Astros did it in a particular way where they did it through the draft. Uh, they were very fortunate and benefited from great draft picks and developing them. They did a good job picking guys up off the waiver waiver wires. They did a great job in trades, free agency. And, you know, I did a lot of interviews in Chicago during those lean years where the White Sox were trying to build back a franchise that could compete in the in the postseason, if not go to the World mm-hmm. Series. And there were they were drawing a lot of comparisons between the Houston Astros and Chicago White Sox because you do have some internal talent that they've drafted, developed, and done a very good job with to get there. And then you add a couple of key free agents. You go out on the international market and you pick up Eloy Jimenez, Luis Roberts, and, and some of these mm-hmm. other guys and put them in that in that situation. And then you add some key free agents. I know Dallas Keuchel's not having the year that they had hoped for, but he's still a veteran presence who goes out there and competes on a daily basis. Uh, you know, you oh, who is it? Yasmani Garandal behind the plate yep. has done a very good job working with the pitching staffs. They reinvented Giolito, uh, you know, from the Washington Nationals. I think he's on the injured list, but they kind of reinvented these guys and developed these guys free, you know, free agent signing in Lance Lynn, who's been an absolute beast throughout the season and just mm-hmm. eats up innings and mows down hitters. Carlos Rodon. I mean, that might be the greatest sign of the season who yeah. a guy that was battling for a fifth spot in the rotation. And when he's healthy, he's one of the more dominant left-handers in the game. So I love the way that they go out and hit the baseball. I love the way that they go out and pitch the baseball back into their bullpen might be the best back into the bullpen that anybody's ever mm-hmm. seen. And if you put them in a postseason with Kimbrell and Hendrick, uh, you know, your starters and you start to push Kopech and, and uh, gosh, that nasty lefty they've got out of that bullpen that just brings all kinds of, you know, hell and funk with the stuff that he has, you know, you really start to shorten games and give them the opportunity. And then you kind of add the, uh, the, the swag and the flash that the White Sox bring. It makes it that much more entertaining for me. I, I'm a big Tim Anderson fan. Oh, same here. I love it. I love the bath that he does, the energy, <laughs> the swag, like that sexiness that he brings yeah. to the baseball game. I love that. Um, and you talk about their bullpen. I think, I guess it might have been the Royals in 14 and 15 who really like perfected that that formula in the playoffs where you uh, go five or six innings and then they get to their bullpen. Uh, the Brewers are the same way at the end of the back end of our bullpen. We have maybe one of the better closers, if not the best closer in the National League, at least. Um, and, and hater, and then we have a really good setup, man. Uh, and we have a really good bullpen to back that up. So in the postseason, we really yeah. don't need our starters to go deep into the postseason. Uh, and plus, like you said, some of our starters can go to the bullpen. I don't know the uh, the Astros did that um, when they won the World Series. Um, I'm trying to think who was their fourth or fifth starter. Well, they had they brought. It was kind of funny, you know. If you look at uh, 2017 game, I believe it was Game Seven of the ALCS, Lance McCullers Jr comes in and closes that game throwing 24 curveballs in a row to put away yeah. the Yankees and then if you fa- and then you fast forward to the World Series in game 7 and guess who comes in and closes out that game Charlie Morton you know mm-hmm. both those guys were in the rotation for the Houston Astros so it, it's really crazy how some of that stuff works out yeah exactly for sure and like 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 you said the 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 White Sox are a great team um it may be a Midwest World Series and uh 
that would be fun to see uh, Chicago versus Milwaukee. Um, but before we go, um, I put out on Twitter that I was going to have you on and I asked a couple of people if they had any questions and a couple oh, responded. Nice. So I want to uh, shoot a couple your way real quick. Um, nothing too complicated. Um, I have a friend uh, who follows me on Twitter. He's from Australia and he wanted to know how was it when you were playing in the Australian league in the 90s uh, for the Hunter Eagles? Dude, I had no idea there was an Australian Winter Baseball League until I, I had signed no idea with, either. The, with. It just so happened that I went the year after I got drafted. So I went from my college season to getting drafted, playing in short season A ball, went to an instructional league, and uh, they used the phrase, we want you to stay fresh because we're sending you to Australia. So I played a collegiate league, a short season league, and then I went to instructional league, and then I went to Australia. So for a college guy, that was rather exhausting for me, but at the same time, it was incredibly exciting because I'd never been to Australia, heard nothing but great things about Australia, and we go out there, and it was nothing short of absolutely incredible. Uh, Hunter at the time was an expansion team. We were about two hours north of Sydney, so we were in a great location right on the coast, and uh, we come to find out that you know there's only four international guys on each team. And so I, it was myself, Neil Weber, Everett Stoll, and Bobby Henley, all from the Montreal Expos organization. And our job is to play baseball. We come to find out that the other 20 guys on our team are working nine to five jobs Monday through oh, Friday. Nice. So, so, so we, it, we, we practiced the four of us by ourselves during the week. And on the weekends, we'd play a doubleheader Saturday, doubleheader Sunday. So we were playing four games in two days, which was absolutely insane. Uh, but a blast at the same time, because the guys on the team were probably played as hard as anybody I've ever played with in my life. They had a huge passion for the game. We're playing on converted rugby fields. Uh, you know, me and Neil Weber were California guys. So we surfed some of the spots out there uh, yeah. on the coast, you know, between, you know, Monday and Friday. But I had an absolute blast. Uh, I was actually lucky enough to I, I, I won a gold glove or the gold glove. I'm not sure if it was, a t you know, what was going on there. But I had a blast, won a gold glove and would go back in a heartbeat. Ha I love that place. Was there any like unique mills that you had while you were there? I've never been there as well. So I'm kind of unfamiliar with what how that all works out. Yeah. So when you go, when you go to a foreign country, you're always worried about what you're going to be able to eat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had a couple of the local guys and their families took us in and we'd go, you know, around. And finally we were like, okay, I'm just starving. I want to go get a burger. I want to, you know, and there's a, they're like, okay, you got to go to this place. Australia was the first place that I had ever had a fried egg on my hamburger. And, you know, you know, a couple years later, we, you know, back in the States, all of a sudden it's a thing now. It's like, oh, put the, put the fried egg on your burger. It's super great. I'm like, dude, I was having this like five years ago in Australia. Uh, but they also, the other thing that was kind of weird to me is they put a slab of, uh, uh, cranberry on there. So it kind of sweetened it up a little bit, but mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't anything too wild. I wasn't out there eating, you know, kangaroos or koalas or anything like that. You know? I was kind of hoping you'd say that to be honest, good. but that's all right. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I mean, I, I that's one of the places I would I would love to go to. Um, I haven't yet. Uh, I've been Central America, Mexico, um, but I have not been out there to Australia someday. Uh, last question. Um, 
This is from my friend Emma. She has a, a podcast that covers baseball and sports in general. She wants to know what you think of the future of this Astros core. Uh, Granky, uh, Correa, uh, Brantley, Verlander. And this offseason, um, is there a player or position that you think the front office should uh, prioritize? That's a really, really good question. And we have been trying to avoid this on our broadcast, you know, <laughs> by talking about them winning so much because, you know, to start the season, uh, you know, the Astros made a, a subpar offer to uh, uh, Carlos Correa and he hasn't had any negotiations since. I think that's probably the biggest question. Is Carlos Correa going to come back and be an Astro? I'm one, I'm on, I'm in the camp that is holding out hope that there is a chance that he does come back because he fits so well and he's great inside this clubhouse. He's great in the community. Uh, you know, his wife, Daniela, has done a good job in the community here. So they really, you know, have grown some serious roots here in Houston. But, uh, you know, it, will they be able to come up with the number of years or the, the price tag to keep a guy like Carlos Correa is probably the first biggest question. I think that with the emergence of guys like Luis Garcia, uh, Jose Urquidy, and some of these in Lance McCullers signing a five-year deal, I think that he's kind of become the ace of that staff. So as far as Zach Greinke's concerned, he might be pitching himself into free agency. I'm not sure that his price tag is something that is going to keep him around as much as I personally and selfishly enjoy a guy like Zach Granke watching him pitch and let alone talking to him, uh, you know, if you can get some words out of him, uh, you know, during batting practice. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't think that maybe that price tag is going to keep him here. Uh, there, you know, the verdict is still out on Justin Verlander. I, I, I actually would entertain the idea of bringing him back on a one-year deal with, you know, mm -hmm. heavy incentives, incentives to yeah. see if he can bounce back from, uh, yeah, you know, just kind of backload that thing and say, if you get to X amount of starts or X amount of innings, uh, we start to uh, pay you a little bit more and get back to a number that uh, he feels he deserves because of that Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's just a freak athlete, and I think that he might actually bounce back in a pretty good shape. Uh, you know, Michael Brantley, fortunately, is going to be here for another year, but the Astros are set up to have some good young talent, and I think that's where James Click, we might see a little bit, a little bit more of the personality of James Click once you get into the situations where you're trying to keep key free agents or whether or not you're trying to decide to go young and uh, maybe let go of some of those contracts and some of those veterans. But it's going to be a big offseason. I think that's why there's a little more emphasis here in Houston by this team to maybe push a little bit harder to see what they can do if this is the final year that this core is together for sure no i completely agree uh that this this core um similar to the cubs um they had a really uh several poor years and then uh they really oh. hit on a ton of free agents and players and drafts and uh they really turned that franchise around into one of the better teams in baseball for the last uh four or five years and it doesn't look like they're going away anytime soon with the talent that they have the pitching um I, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and end it on that. I know your time is precious and I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, and I really do appreciate that. Um, could you go ahead and give your podcast a plug? Cause I, uh, you guys do a good job. You and your co-host. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, myself and a, a good friend of mine, David Tuttle, played for Team USA back in the day, played nine years in the minor leagues, uh, never really got the chance to be in the big leagues. But, you know, he kind of brings the pitching side. I bring the, you know, the defense and hitting side of it. But we have a, a good time talking about baseball, life, fitness, families. He's a father of multiples, just like I am. So we have some interesting stories every now and then. And we're trying to accrue some access to people around the league that really have a passion for the game, uh, much like you do, and bring, you know, 
some of that to the forefront. But we have a lot of fun. The podcast is called Bleacher Blums. Uh, we're on every you know platform there is out there for podcasts. We have a YouTube channel. We've got a website. So bleacherblums.com if you want to find out any more information. I really appreciate you allowing me the plug, and thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. It's great meeting you. Absolutely. You as well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.